because Elon Musk has been to China. He's built his largest Tesla factory in just in two years. Hmm. That, that's China speed. Yeah. And he saw every Chinese people use WeChat and TikTok hmm. and all the things. So he know the X will be a copy of WeChat or tries to be a copy of WeChat. Uh, welcome to this super exciting episode of Redefine Growth. We got a very special guest uh, today. We're going to talk about Chinese innovation, e-commerce 10, 15 years ahead, and what are they doing differently and what we can learn from them. John Lin. John, super excited to have you here. Uh, X-Strategy, a bowl, uh, expert on uh, China's uh, innovation and e-com. Uh, maybe you can give a short introduction of yourself uh, to explain to the listeners who you are and what you like to do. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bart. Uh, I'm your stereotypical Dutch-born Chinese. So my parents are in the restaurant business, uh, but I went on to study here in innovation management. Uh, I worked at Bold.com in the strategy department. Helps a lot of, uh, to build a lot of new business models, set the future direction of the company or helped it with the team. I'm just one of the team, of course. And then I developed myself into some kind of China expert because I was the crazy one in the team that told everyone like, why do we always look at the US? Whereas China is 10 or 15 years ahead in e-com. Why did, doesn't anyone look at that? Uh, but yeah, then I noticed, oh, it's far away. The culture is different. Just finding someone on the web works different there. Uh, and the language is way too different. So I always started yelling like, okay, the Amazon is not very innovative on this. Alibaba has done this. Tencent has done this. We should look more at, the, at those examples. Uh, so I developed myself into the speaker and also in, in a consultant in that area to help like Western companies learn from the Chinese ones. Uh, and up to one year ago, I left Bold.com to yeah, go after this, figure more out about what we can do to bring the East and the West closer together uh, because the gap is large and it's getting larger because of polarization, politics, all the nasty things. And I think it's very cool if we can bring the cultures close together to show each other about the good things. Uh, because that's not something the media does quite nicely. They do the opposite. Uh, and that's uh, how I got here. Nice. It's uh, Well, it's great to have you. And uh, there are a couple of things I would love your opinion about. And uh, at, at, the point, at this point, I see three things, which are, uh, of, of course, China is 10, 15 years ahead. So what can we learn from them? Second, I see a big trend in uh, platform uh, economics, uh, uh, the gamma, the kruidvat, the blocker. Uh, they're all moving platform. And I think you have a, an amazing vision on uh, how to deal with that as a uh, uh, mid-sized uh, e-com shop, for example. And third, um, uh, you've been talking at some of our events and we've been uh, we've known each other for, for quite a while now. And I, I know you've got some amazing examples on how China is... Um, also, in terms of sustainability, it might be uh, quite ahead uh, because often we think they're not. But uh, um, I'm aware of the World Overshoot Day uh, of China and the Netherlands, uh, and I believe we're behind. So uh, I would love to have your opinion about, uh, about that. Um, but first, China, 10, 15 years ahead. So uh, what can every e-com shop in the Netherlands learn from China and where should they, be, uh, should, should they be focused on in 2024? Yeah, the cool thing is like, if you talk to e-commerce uh, shop owners who have been to China, who source from China, and they've been there for business or holiday, they all know, oh, wow, what's happening there? It's crazy. Like mo half of the cars that got sold uh, are electric. 
uh, everything is digital. Even my grandma goes into her apartment building with facial recognition and she pays with everything with her phone. And I think she gets two or three packages a day. I think at Bold.com and at Amazon, you see a loyal customer gets one or two packages a week. Mm. Uh, but my grandma in China, who is not like the most savvy e-commerce shopper, already gets three packages a day. Wow. Uh, so that's crazy. And the other thing in China is like they do a lot of more with social. So TikTok comes from China, but in China it's called Douyin. So social commerce is really big. I think everything that gets sold there has eight social touch points before the transaction. Hmm. And TikTok is, will do the same here. They add e-commerce. Uh, Facebook is trying to do it. Snapchat's trying to do it. In Instagram, of course, under Meta is trying to do it. So they have, they've all seen, oh, social commerce is the next big thing. And that's how we can weaken Amazon. Because Amazon is currently the largest one in every uh, market they enter. The Netherlands, they are not so big yet. Uh, but in China, they even retracted their business. But all the other markets, they are the market leader. And they are trying to add social. But social is like their Achilles heel, or where they cannot win easily. Uh, so TikTok is adding the business. Uh, it's it's not hard, that easy for them yet, because it's still the younger generation that's on TikTok. Mm -hmm. Wait until until they earn money. So uh, social commerce is something you should try to learn. How do I reach my own audience uh, on social platforms? What kind of content do they like? How do I sell my product in the best way possible on social? And it's not very technical like the, the tell sell of yesteryear, but it needs to be entertaining. Uh, and I think I saw it in one of your presentations uh, a while ago. You have like 0.2 seconds or something to... Between the, the, the thumb uh, movement yeah. yeah, on TikTok, and it's, it's funny if you look at the younger generation sitting in a bus or a train, and sometimes they even swipe without looking. So uh, that's why you have to grab their attention and make sure that they're uh, yeah, going through the story that you want to yeah. tell. Try to sell a product in 0 0.2 seconds. <laughs> that's the yeah. challenge. Or at least grab their attention, like yeah. waving, saying, stop scrolling. Uh, I, I remember one ad that literally said, stop scrolling because you need to listen yeah. to this. Um, so yeah, social commerce, and I think the, we've been talking about that quite a while now. Where do you see social commerce uh, being integrated in the Netherlands? Because I know TikTok, and, but for me, I don't really see at this point people having a transaction via social directly, or it's not yet integrated. Yeah. Maybe it, it soon is. Do you see the, 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 the metas or the TikToks or Pinterest? Or what, what channels are moving towards social commerce where there's actually really a conversion, or, or are there still being sent to a web shop. Yeah, so they're all preparing for it. So if you look at the banking license acquirements, uh, Meta has one, uh, so they they can do it in Facebook and Snapchat. Uh, Uber has one, but it's not really social. And TikTok also is acquiring one. And that's a matter of time because when they can integrate the transactions. And they also look at like the maturity of the e-commerce landscape. So how many uh, e-commerce webshop owners have their logistics uh, created in such a way that they can easily link to different marketplaces. Mm. Because TikTok is just another marketplace. Facebook is just another marketplace. Mm. And the powerful thing about TikTok or Facebook uh, or Instagram is people spend a lot of time on there. I think TikTok has two hours a day of an average Dutch user. Uh, and in the US wow. it's about the same. Facebook knows with Instagram they're losing. They only have 90 minutes. But it's still a lot. And if you compare that to an Amazon, an average customer spends maybe five to 10 minutes a day mm. on their platform. 
So even if your conversion is like 10 times lower on your social platform, if you convert anything, it's the potential is huge. Yeah, well, that's interesting. So uh, also taking into account the trend that we see that there are more platforms coming, the Gamma, the Kruidvat, the Decathlon, and, and uh, we've been talking about that this yeah. morning a little bit. And um, should you see social as a similar platform as well, where there's a potential buyer for you where you should connect with, or is it different? Yeah, so the reason why all those small traditional retailers are going into the platform model, uh, and it's like, if you call it correctly, it's, they are going to a marketplace, is because they have traffic. And I think they all hire the same consultant, where they say, yeah, you have a lot of traffic on your site, you have a good brand, try to scale your business. And the easiest way to scale is with a marketplace, because you don't have stock, someone else will provide the content, uh, people are on your site anyway, so they can buy stuff from other people on your website and you get like 10 to 15% commission. That's the story every yeah, traditional retailer believes. So Gamma does it, Blocker does it, uh, Decathlon does it, Kruidvat starts doing it. And there are companies behind that who provide the software. So it's really easy to start. Hmm. Only when you scale up at like a bot.com size, uh, the software starts to limit you. But hmm. then you are so big, you can build something on your own. Yeah. So they all want to open up their storefront. It's actually what's happening. And they say to like the, the small, medium enterprise webshop owner, okay, hey, come, come to me. You can sell, you can put your products in my storefront and sell it. And we only take 15%. We do the marketing and you just do the logistics for us. They're all doing it. The marketplaces, all the stores are open to marketplace, but none of them are really successful because the problem in platform country or platform industry is the big get bigger. Mm. And that's what Amazon did in the US. They are the starting point of shopping. If a customer wants a product, they go to Amazon. In China, if a customer wants a product, they go to Taobao. They don't go to Google or Baidu. Only in countries where the market is segmented, like the Netherlands, Bol.com, the largest one, has 20, 25% market share. Amazon has about 10, that's the estimation. There's not one big clear winner for the customer to choose. Mm. And in a segmented country, a customer goes to Google. Because Google has all the information and that's the most convenient for you. And the Netherlands is quite unique in that because in the in the Germany, in France, you have all big platforms who to in total have more than 50% of the market. And for a smaller webshop owner or retailer, the best option is to go to the marketplaces. But not one, not Bot.com or Amazon, but all of them. Connect as many as you can, which makes sense for your product. Because if you sell like pet supplies, don't go to Kruidvat's marketplace. <laughs> because every marketplace has their niche customer. Of course, yeah. Um, but just go on all of them. Make sure your infrastructure is very agile in connecting them. And then try out what works for you. Uh, because connecting to them is easier than ever. Does that also mean, like uh, thinking aloud, that, that if you have various places where, where, you're, where people can buy your product, um, it for me it sounds that it's uh, you you have to have less focus on your own selling point like your own web shop because there are already a lot of places where people can buy a product. Does it also mean uh, that that you should focus a little bit more on building your brand and being out there and being because there are more pro, uh, places where people can buy your product? So uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, totally. Your brand will be way more important than like your skill to retail because. Retailing will be done by the platform. Uh, and in China, they say you have three types of business models in a mature platform economy. One is the platform, someone who connects everything. Mm -hmm. 
The other one, they call it a dot business. You only are one dot in the whole uh, landscape. And a dot can do one thing very well. Have a brand, be very good in manufacturing, make one skill work for them. Mm-hmm. Those are the brands who provide value. And then you have the connectors. And those connectors connect the dots to the different platforms there. are. Mm. You have to be one of those three to be successful in a platform economy. If you are something in between, you're doomed to fail because a platform will be better in making the connections. A dot will be better in making your product and a connector will be better in providing all the software services you need. Can you you name an example of a a connector for for the people listening? So in the Netherlands, you have two big ones, Channel Engine or Channel Bull. They connect, uh, for instance, Pets Place is someone who is very good in pet supplies and they sell on Bull.com, on Blocker and Amazon. And Channel Engine is their connection provider who connects them to all these different marketplaces. And Pets Place just, just gets the orders in their ecosystem, in their own infrastructure, processes the orders, sends them out. They still have their own web shop because that's also a good brand. Uh, but they do what they're good at, and that's selling pet supplies. It was super interesting. So looking at uh, the, the 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 movement and the trend in uh, platform economics. And the, the change that uh, e-com shops potentially have to make, what does that mean in terms of running your business? Because uh, if you have your own product, your own web shop, and, and you get your orders in, you get your data in of your clients, and then you sell the product. But but now it's there's a different uh, journey of buying, but also a different journey of maybe delivering and selling. So how do you see how uh, shops can deal with that? Yeah, so from a shop owner view, you need to see the platforms in the marketplace as a way to reach the end customer and also a way to learn from the end customer because all those marketplaces, all those platforms give a lot of data back about what search terms customers use, what their profiles are, uh, what type of things they like. You can use this data to increase or improve your offering. And you need to be really handy to know, okay, at bot.com we see young families with children. At Kruidvat, uh, we see discount shoppers. There are different types of consumer profiles on different pl- platforms. So you really need to know what which consumer is where, what data can I learn from it, and how can I improve my product for them. So if you are just someone who sources products and sells them at a markup, that's not going to work anymore in the future because a platform economy will make everything transparent. Because a customer can also look on AliExpress or... or uh, Timu or another Chinese platform and find your product at a way lower price. So if you didn't add any value in that, you will lose that business in the end. So the dropshipping trend we saw uh, is going to have a different direction, uh, is what you're saying. It's, exactly. It's, yeah. You cannot just buy a product anymore and, and resell it or dropship it. Uh, the, there should be an added value there. Yeah, so the dropshipping thing could exist because there was intransparency in pricing and product offering. But with globalization, with bigger Chinese platforms, with Amazon acquiring more Chinese sellers, this intransparency will disappear. Everything will become more transparent. The price battles will go even lower. And if you are just sourcing and selling, it's you will lose in the end because a factory in China will put the same product directly on Amazon. How can you compete with that? Do you like this episode? Do you want to learn more about redefining growth, new growth strategies and making more positive impact on the world? Uh, Please like and subscribe. 
press that button somewhere here. I also see uh, a similar thing at the Albertine where you put your product in Albertine, but then they just put a similar product with their own brand, a better price uh, and better marketing, maybe even. Uh, yeah, Albertine is going big on private label hmm. because a lot of those brand factories, they have a lot of capacity left over. So you, yeah. they can um, yeah they can produce for anyone. Uh, so you see the supermarkets going to those factories. I want my own private label of product X or A or B, and they make it for a lower price uh, because the markup of, of brand pro brand products is really high. And the retailer can use the data. Albertine knows which products sell well. Yeah, yeah. So they know, okay, if I put a private label like twenty percent under this, I know I will make money. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I think where where there's a little bit of an unfair advantage they have because they have all the data. And you you were just saying that the the the, the platforms provides data but it's not the data that you actually want uh, because i think there are some data missing so like oh, what time did they buy uh, uh, who is that person how can i build up a profile because they only give you the data that they're willing to give you but i think there's also uh, they also should should be aware of the position that they have as a platform and and, and probably yeah. want to keep a little bit of the data to themselves just to make sure that they don't give away too much. How do you see that developing? Are they going to give more data available to the retailers or, or less? Yeah, or? It depends on uh, when you look at what platform, because Amazon has been known for making a lot of Amazon basics based on the data on the platform. Uh, in Europe, they got a big fine and there will be regulation because it, that's a big unfair advantage hmm. uh, because Amazon makes a lot of money on those basics. But Amazon was a traditional retailer. But if you look at Alibaba in China with their Taobao platform, Alibaba never was in retail themselves. They never had warehouses. They never did sourcing. It was always platform. a platform. Yeah. So their business is selling the data. That's where they earn their money. So there you get everything uh, where you, yeah, to build the next generation product. They even have the Tmall Innovation Center. That's like their consulting business, helping big brands making their next offering. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. And even here in the West, you see Chinese companies being successful. I think one of the big successful stories is uh, Anchor from the power banks and the chargers. Mm. They are a platform-only brand. They became big on Amazon. They just look at the data. What do people search? Like, if they want a power bank, how much capacity, which uh, charging plugs do they need, uh, and the chargers, how much capacity do they need, which colors are nice. And based on these profile data, they make a power bank. And their channels are extremely short. So a factory produces them, they put them in the Amazon warehouses, they put some money on advertising on Amazon, and then they go. Their supply chain is so short, they can make a new product like every one or one month for two months. There's almost no channel inventory, and they're super agile. And you see a lot of those platform brands on Amazon from Chinese uh, offerings. You see, I think the Xiaomi uh, robots, uh, vacuums. Mm. Um, seen that. <laughs> a lot of smartphones are designed this way right now uh, from the Chinese make. So every Chinese electronics company, you see them develop their products in this way with the data they can get from Amazon. Interesting. And I've we have some partners where we work with some some smaller e-com brands uh, who are also thinking about, so what? how can we um, get more products in our shop? And obviously you want to use some data there and look at search trends and look at trends in different countries. And are you saying that you should, you could, potentially use the data from the platforms as well. Is that is that something that could be available for smaller brands as well? Or? Yeah, totally, you should, uh, and it is. Uh, you have like software platforms that help you with it. Uh, so for Amazon, it's called, they're called Jungle Scout or Helium 10. 
And if you use them in the right way, you can get a lot of valuable information from it. On Bol.com, you have tools like Riley, Bolu, 5X. Uh, so you have all like ecosystem pro software providers around the big platform who create these cool software tools for like 20 to 50 euros a month. Uh, and you can get going. Mm. Uh, one cool example, I think, from the Netherlands is uh, Fruitfly Ninja. They do pest control. They have like the small bottles you put in your kitchen and it catches the fruit flies. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's why they started. But then they added a lot of more products and they rebranded re themselves to Super Ninja because they have now like stickers you put in your uh, flower pots which catch different kind of flies. Mm. Uh, ant, uh, ant control, bee control, they have all different types of pest control products right now. And they develop those products with the search terms. What do people search? How's the offering in that category? Is there a clear leader in that category? Okay, mm. there's not. Uh, what's the pri average pricing in those categories? And then they just figure out what does the customer want? They check out the reviews of the competitor products, like what's missing in their offering. And then they develop a new one. And they are really successful. They only sell on Amazon. I think it's one of the big Dutch success stories of how a small team uh, can be globally successful with just a one niche of products. Yeah. And they are, work really data-driven. Great example. Uh, I had uh, Anouka Meis here in the yeah. podcast a while ago, and she said uh, Google has been an AI-first company for, uh, I believe she said eight years or since 2008, at least for a long time already. I think people now, uh, since last year, are aware a little bit more of AI, but it's been there for quite a while longer. Are you saying that maybe more web shops should be platform first, or at least have their focus because... Now talking about it with you, saying like use the search terms, look at competition there, use the data from reviews and, and scrape that and get insights from it. It's a different game than running your own web shop. Uh, are you saying that this is a trend they should really look into? I think depending on the country you're in, like the Netherlands, there's still opportunity to run your own web shop because you can create customer journeys that are not possible, possible on the platform. Hmm. So if you are, you have a really niche product, Sometimes a platform is just not suitable for you. But if you are in that product category, you will probably know already as an entrepreneur. Uh, but for most of the categories, the platforms are the way to go. Uh, and in the Netherlands, where the market is very segmented, you just need to be on all of them. And in the big markets, uh, where one platform is the biggest, you need to be on there. Because when you have like your own web shop, you need to do your sale right, you need to configure your ads. I think only at Bold.com, like their search engine optimization team is like 40 people. Mm. How can you ever beat that? Their UX designers, they have like a whole army of designers optimizing the checkout flow for conversion. They have the best negotiation possibilities with PostNL for low shipping tariffs. Yeah. And they're opening up those services for the entrepreneurs to use. So that's something you need to keep in mind. Like for one of your own UXer, those big platforms have hundreds. Yeah, we often advise to look at that as well. We look at that because they've been testing it so much. So like we can come up with experiments and and sometimes things we do work very well. Some that don't. But just by looking at the, the the bigger the booking the balls, they've been testing it out for for I forever. Think, so I think for every every time we go on a Bouldercon or Amazon, there are maybe fifty to hundred AB tests running in parallel. Yeah, because they have so much traffic, they can do that. Uh, and I've even heard stories that they are doing it automated with AI. 
So they have teams Probably. building engines that just constantly change small things in the in in, in the journey to figure yeah. out if it makes conversion or not. Yeah, my little brother has a has a, a startup add up. It's called. Uh, he's in the AI checkout, so he will be optimizing for uh, where you're browsing from, what device you're using, what products are you buying, and then it can change uh, layouts. Yeah, change layout, change checkout flow, etc. So it knows. So you're probably going to use PayPal to check out. So this is your preferred uh, checkout uh, flow. Yeah, and it's interesting. So the podcast is called Redefine Growth. Um, and I know you got some great examples from China where. They're redefining their growth, I think, in, in terms of how to do their marketing and what can we learn from them in terms of growing an e-com uh, brand. What we don't see here that much, but we see it there all the time. Yeah, so one thing China really is ahead of is the use of data. Because they have the big platforms, because they have the social platforms, they are really extracting a lot of data to iterate their product development. And even Western brands do it. Uh, that's something we are not doing here yet. So uh, I think Timberland in China, they have a whole offering of sustainable products, sustainable shoes. Hmm. They use the data from the Chinese search engines uh, and, and the platforms. Okay, what type of colors do customers want? What materials? Does it need to be a light shoe, a heavy shoe? Uh, what type of shoe? And just within two or three months, they have a new product on the market. Usually where product development takes half a year to one one and a half years, Chinese companies do it in two or three months. And the same thing with the electronics we talked about. And that's something that's really crazy there. Uh, to set up a new brand and be market leader within three years. Like their ambition level is crazy. It's interesting from a lean startup principle, you would build something and then test it and learn from it. But what we, what you're saying right now is you already got so much data available that that the, the chance of building something that works, you can uh, support that with a lot of data before testing it and, and see whether or not it works because you have so much data available, and which is super interesting. Yeah, um, it makes like the choices from a leadership point of view very different. Uh, I think uh, I, I got approached once with uh, by JD.com, number two in China. It's, the, it's, it's like the cool blue of China. It's, it's the biggest one, but they are also a marketplace. And they told me, like, we have connections with all the major electronics factories in China. Like, do you want to know where Dyson produces his uh, their hairdryer? We can go there. And mm. they can make up a, make us a similar one for 60% less. And then they told us, yeah, we can also make private labels, sub-brands or whatever. We can develop a product based on the data we have on the Western platforms. And the interesting thing is they also trust their data. So, so what they do in China is, okay, we see... Uh, this hairdryer from Dyson doing really well, but it's like 400 euros. So it's it's only for the, the most, yeah, well, uh, best earning people. Yeah, crazy. But they want to make something cheaper, different price points, uh, but which features are the most important to hit that price point and be successful. And their data says then, okay, you need these uh, feature ABC. They put the product on the marketplace but then they say, okay, we add a lot of advertising because we know for sure it will sell. So they also like... More aggressively... They put money behind their bets because it's already based on data. Mm. Uh, so the whole learn measure part is... Yeah, you only need measure at the, at the end, the amount of money that comes in. Uh, yeah. But they're so sure that you, they just build it, put money behind it, and then just uh, let the money printing machine go. 
Yeah, and they probably did it uh, sometimes already. So they they're already aware of okay, we got an X amount of people interested in searching for it, uh, and they can already forecast the the sales that they're probably going to do uh, with it. Um, I remember some examples that you had from um, user generated content, and uh, some examples that you had, um, which I believe were China's a bit different in in marketing their products, where we here see a lot of uh, we are brand X and this makes us unique and this is our product feature, etc. So can you can you give uh, advice for the, the the Dutch or at least European web shops on what they can do in terms of their social strategy, uh, what China is already doing quite a lot? Yeah, so China has two directions. One is the extreme luxury. You need this product to be part of this and that, like the, the premium luxury branding. That's what they do really well. That's the, where they use the influencers a lot. Uh, so you see Procter & Gamble with the expensive shampoos uh, using the influencers, Louis Vuitton, the prime examples. And that's where you like, the customer wants to be part of, the, of a certain type of group and you need to have the product to be part of that group. That's really successful in China. And the other, the other side is like the practical things. Okay, this product will make this part of your life easier or... With this hairbrush, your cat will feel better because of X, Y, Z. And then show them in those videos because China is all about social uh, and they will really show the benefit uh, and also have the interaction with it. So customers can ask questions in live streams and then buy them in immediately. But the interesting part is what I saw with some of the influencers who have their own brands in China, like you're selling shoes. And then a customer says, like, if enough customers in the in the comments say, yeah, do you also have like a yellow one or a higher one or a thicker one? They will have the next iteration ready within two weeks. Wow. So they really listen to the customer uh, based on that social data. And that's something that's really hard to do here. But if we can succeed to put our social comments and reviews back into new product versions, I think every entrepreneur will like accelerate their business like crazy. And and how do they um, measure the success of these influencers? Because I think uh, there there are quite some some econ brands here struggling how to work with influencers. So do I pay them upfront? Do I pay them for three posts or uh, whatever? Do I give them a discount code? So I try to measure uh, the conversion. What is the model like there? Why is it so successful? Yeah, so you have different models. Like if you have the big the big guys, the big influencer with millions and millions of followers, you pay them upfront just to show the product. That's enough. No conversion measuring, whatever, because you know they are the most successful ones. If you go lower, you'll have like a commission fee, uh, affiliate links, stuff like that. So you can measure it uh, and they will just pick it up. They will do it for you. You don't need to approach them. There's a whole like ecosystem for it. Yeah. We don't have that here yet. Amazon's trying to do it with their Amazon affiliate links. Uh, but it's, that's how you can do the tracking. But the most successful influencers, they built their own brands. They built their own cosmetics. They built their own shoes. They built their own dresses. Mm. You have factories helping them do that. Uh, so that's quite hard to get in there. And for us here, it's quite hard still because we see the influencers in the West as salespeople. But you need to look at them. Okay, does that person fit my brand? Mm. Uh, you need to see them as brand ambassadors uh, and figure out how that works for you. Because otherwise it becomes really transactional. And that's, I think, limits our success here. Plus, the people who listen to influencers in the West are still quite young. 
I think we need three to five years until they finish their studies, start working, start spending money. Mm. They will listen to their influencers. That's interesting. I'm also wondering when when there's an inf- uh, a LinkedIn influencer platform coming because uh, you now see it a lot on TikTok and and YouTube and and Meta. But uh, I believe uh, sooner or later we're going to see it on LinkedIn as well, uh, influencing people with uh, even B two B products, right? Because yeah. it's now very a consumer based uh, strategy, I guess. But um, I think we're going to see it in B two B as well. Yeah, I think more X more. X will go there. Because Elon Musk has been to China. He's built his largest Tesla factory in just in two years. Hmm. That, that's China speed. Yeah. And he saw every Chinese people use WeChat and TikTok hmm. and all the things. So he know the X will be a copy of WeChat or tries to be a copy of WeChat. Uh, so he will adding payment functionality. He will be adding shopping functionality. He will adding stock trading functionality. It will go on and on, but it will take a long time to have everything. Yeah. And I hope he does not lose all the customers along the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <I have> so. <laughs> Do you have paid account? No, no, no. I'm no, not. me neither. Uh, so he will he will try to emulate what WeChat has done in China because it's it's like omnipresent. It's really everywhere. You can use it everywhere. It's It tracks the data everywhere. And you also see like Tencent, the mother company of WeChat, they sell that data. to. So for instance, Dyson. Dyson comes to China. I want to open 100 shops which streets are the best? Where do the rich people live? Mm. And Tencent provides you like with statistically anonymized data, but go to these streets, build your store there. Uh, and we will help you with the promotion because we can reach those customers. Yeah, that's in, I think Meta is moving that direction too, right? Because I've, I've seen some testing with uh, with the marketplace that suddenly popped up in my uh, in my Meta. I'm not that often on Facebook anymore, but uh, uh, I, think, I think they're looking... Uh, China as well. Mark Zuckerberg, his wife is Chinese. Ah, he speaks go. almost fluent Mandarin, so he's a lot there. So he knows. He also knows what he's doing. Yeah, and step by step, they're moving that. Uh, it's funny because I think I did a LinkedIn post about uh, we we built a WhatsApp automation in the past where we didn't use the business WhatsApp because it didn't exist yet, but we automatically send. Um, uh, WhatsApp messages so uh, brands could uh, inform there uh, and not like a newsletter and and but really providing value and now I think uh, WhatsApp introduced uh, channels where brands can actually have like a newsletter uh, I'm wondering how that's going to work but uh, I think when when WhatsApp was sold they they promised not to use it in commercial and not use the data but did you believe that <laughs> um, uh, I'm quite sure that it's that they're using the data because if you talk with someone about uh, some product uh, suddenly you sh- they show up at Instagram but uh, yeah it's interesting to see that uh, that trend yeah the channels is something that's really old already in WeChat so yeah. you have the channels of brands if I go to lock-in coffee in China so that's the the main competitor of Starbucks uh, you cannot sit there you cannot order from the store you have to do that in their app, and that's on WeChat. So you wow. scan a QR code in the store, you see the product offering, you pay it with WeChat, and then you're in the channel, you automatically subscribe to the channel mm. of Lock Coffee. I think I get spammed twice a day about new coupon codes with discounts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot unsubscribe, of, I cu- cannot find the button, it's really irritating. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And a great example how, how it should not be used. Yeah, but they are really successful. I think they they have more stores right now than Starbucks in China. They uh, and they do delivery within fifteen minutes. Mm, wow! So you ho- your latte macchiato within fifteen minutes on your desk. That's quite cool. 
Yeah, and I think looking at some trends that I see is is finding a way to have more data coming from your customers, and and I think this is a way. Well, just yeah. make sure that they use. Uh, uh, an app where you can track everything that they order and have that data available for you or via a platform. Um, find more effective ways to communicate with your uh, uh, customers. So uh, email has, is still an okay channel, but there are ways, uh, I think the open rate of WhatsApp is like 98%. Not sure how that goes for, for the channel part. And the third, the thing that I heard you saying uh, is the, the increase the, the time to market. So learn faster from your customers and make sure that if there is a uh, big demand for a certain product that you can deliver it within weeks or months, but not years, because then you're you're falling behind. Uh, yeah, we always at strategy team, we told ourselves, what's our way, quickest way to 1 billion? Mm. Because if you cannot scale quick enough, someone else will take your place. And you have seen it with Picnic. Uh, in the Netherlands, Albert Heijn overtook them because their infrastructure could scale more quickly. I don't think it was profitable, but uh, there's someone who will overtake your place if you cannot go quickly enough. Uh, and TikTok is the crazy example. In China, they reached 800 million users in three years. Wow. And uh, internationally, they reached 1 billion customers in one year, uh, three years. Wow. That's crazy speed, but that's the only way to do it because if... If they didn't do it in three years, the 1 billion customers, uh, Meta would integrate like the short form videos into Instagram and Facebook already and, and mm. copy their behavior. Yeah, uh, That's what they did with Snapchat. That's why Snapchat yeah, yeah, never yeah. took off because yeah. they were not quick enough. Mm. Wondering if ChatGPT is going to beat those numbers in terms of adoption. Do uh, you think so? I think ChatGPT is a different, it's a different utility because TikTok, the business model is consuming your time hmm. time is their competitor so create a lot of get a lot of time from the consumer and sell ads in that time yeah. that's the end business model chat gpt is more like a competitor for google search or microsoft office or it's it's, it's a different it's not a social yeah it's, yeah, it's uh, not a social but the adoption time is i think 100, 100 million users in five days or something yeah. like that crazy and they, they, crazy. they crush the time to 100 million yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. But there you see they couldn't scale because they hit some limits in their infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, but right now you see the hype falling off uh, and it's still, it still has tremendous impact on the industry and on every, every daily life. But what TikTok is doing is still consuming two hours a day of every user. It's, it, it's addictive to mm. a crazy level. Yeah. And it's, it's generally just wasting time of everyone. <laughs> Yeah, I also heard some some rumors of people saying that they changed the algorithm for countries outside of China, showing just all crap. And then within China, they show a lot of types of content where they should, oh, you should become a doctor, you should become a, <laughs> a professor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not sure about the truth about that strategy. Yeah, it's, interesting, but it's, like, it's, it's interesting how we look at the issue because here we see, oh yeah, it's the company that should do something. But in China, it's actually the regulator. The regulator has rules on what type of content should be published, how many hours a child should be on those platforms every day. So there's a lot of regulation. Is there a cap on it? Uh, yeah, for for ga gaming is the one uh, interesting thing. Mm. Ch ch kids under 18 in China can only game three hours a week and only oh, wow. on weekends. And that's only the regulation for China. No, uh, yeah, for only for China. So platforms Ten open. Tencent is the biggest gaming company in the world, and all their games in China are regulated this way. Wow. Uh, and I think uh, two weeks ago, in the last week of December, 
there was a new regulation. You cannot give incentives anymore for daily logins. So no points or loot boxes. Uh, the loot box content should be transparent. So no more gambling on loot boxes. The spending cap should be monitored uh, and transparent to the regulators. Mm. And every game needs to be approved by the regulator. So they are actually trying to stop the gambling in games mm. because it's much like gambling, yeah. but you don't actually don't get any money back. So they're trying to fix gaming addiction, but this is regulation. This is not Tencent. It's it's very not beneficial for them. Yeah, maybe uh, we should start to regulate it here a little bit more as well. Yeah, to protect the kids. That's what they say there. And it's also the same for social because uh, China has quite some rules about what type of content kids can see or cannot see. Mm. And they have like parental control modes, uh, and I think when you listen to the US uh, hearing for TikTok, uh, they said, yeah, why do you do it in China, not here? Yeah, because there are no rules in the US. Mm. You need to make the rules and then we will do it because we have the technology. Yeah. But from a business point of view, you just want everyone to spend time on it. Yeah, as much time as possible. Yeah. Hey, in this Redefined Growth podcast, it's about um, yeah, redefining growth. Growth is often about uh, maximizing profit and, and, and growing businesses, which will be obviously like a lot too, but it's also about making a positive impact on people and planet. Um, China has ahead 10, 15 years in terms of e-com. How far are they ahead in terms of sustainability and what can we learn from that? Yeah, so China can be characterized by a lot of ambition. So if you look at the leadership of the companies, they are super ambitious. Like they set like the big, hairy, audacious goals, but they do it better. And one thing that Alibaba did, I think two or three years ago, they said, we are going to reduce our scope tree impact with 60%. Alibaba does around 50 to 60% of all retail in China. Uh, so scope tree is like the whole retail industry and all the factories that produce stuff like for them, and the cars that drive around to deliver the packages. Uh, so they want to reduce this scope tree impact by, 35, by, by 2035. But if you look at Western companies, like if you ask Amazon or Walmart or Albert Heijn, like, do you want to reduce your scope tree? And you cannot find anything uh, definitive about it. They say, yeah, we will reduce it, whatever, but no one has set a hard goal. Uh, but if you look at those Chinese companies, they are really starting to do it. They have a lot of renting, leasing models. They are not afraid to disrupt their own business models. Uh, they have like loyalty programs which award you with trees if you buy more sustainable products and Alibaba has planted 600 million trees in the last five years uh, so it's it's crazy what they do for leadership on that front uh, more than 50 I think more than the half of all the electric cars produced in the world are Chinese so even on electric car produ uh, production uh, and from the people side the consumer they're also changing really quickly last year two viral hashtags on Chinese social media were hashtag save 100% by not buying anything mm. that one was targeted at fast fashion so Zara H&M uh, they're closing a lot of stores in China because it's not going well Chinese are looking for more quality uh, and the other hashtag was instead of I think two years ago you had hashtag revenge spending it was after COVID mm. spent the money we've saved all up but now the trending hashtag is hashtag rational spending. Mm. So let's not spend that much more money. The economy is not doing that well. Earth is not going doing that well. So you see a lot of trends changing from the consumer to do something better. 
uh, and the brands see this data from the socials, from the platforms. So they're also changing their product offering to go on that. Interesting. We did, we once did um, a period of three months at Sprints and Sneakers where you get you could get points uh, for not buying uh, clothes or actually like um, points minus uh, for buying clothes. And it's actually quite interesting that if you have your period of, we did three months and we then exchange clothes as well. Um, if you don't buy clothes for three months, uh, you actually become aware of the fact that you don't have to buy that many clothes or at least buy higher quality clothes, uh, which last longer and, and or secondhand clothes. And, and it's funny to see your colleague wearing your sweater uh, <laughs> a month later. So like, hey, is that my sweater? Yes, it's my sweater. So it's, it's interesting to see. And it's maybe a habit we should, uh, we should change a little bit more. Yeah, and the power of the consumer here is really strong because I think in China, H&M closed 300 stores. Wow. So it's uh, it has a big impact on them. Do you see that here happening too in the future? I hope so. <laughs> I want to, I want to see it happen. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and how should brands deal with that? So if you're a fashion econ brand right now and, and uh, this is something uh, I think we both see happening right now, how they're supposed to deal with that? I think they should start to look at fundamentally change their business um, because the fast fashion thing is like, it's like the gambling addiction. You need something new. You need that, 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 that shot of dopamine or oxytocin, one of those two, when you buy something new. That's that's something that's, that starts to change in China. Uh, you have like their secondhand platforms are like really next level. So if you sell something secondhand on Xingyu, like their largest secondhand platform, someone comes pick it up like if you have a nice suit, someone comes comes pick it up. Uh, then they go to the dry cleaners as an added service, and then cool. it gets delivered to the end consumer. Nice. Those things, those business models, don't exist here yet. Mm. Uh, but those are the big opportunities if you really want to go circular. Cool, interesting. And um, there are probably quite some some entrepreneurs and and CMO listening right, uh, CMOs listening right now. So. What what are the the three things or, or you would recommend them to do in 2024 to become more successful with their e-com brand? Dream bigger, like really bigger. Dream China big. Uh, that's and what does that mean? Because I know what it means, but maybe for the listeners, big also means more impact. So not only big in numbers or or in profit or revenue, but also big on impact on society. Uh, that's something that's that we lost here along the way. So like Alibaba said, we need to make business easy for everyone. So a small business owner should be able to fight against a Coca-Cola, a big multinational. That's something quite hard to do, but the plat their platform makes it possible. So mm. what's your bigger impact next to profit and revenue? Uh, the other thing is, yeah, use way more data, like especially in marketing. How can you target someone? How can you learn what they really want uh, and automate a lot of those processes? They, you don't have to reinvent the wheels for that. Yeah, what you were saying is also not only your own data, but look at data at, at, at di from different sources like platforms and uh, well, obviously uh, search trends and all that Hashtags, stuff. Hashtags, whatever, yeah. Use more data only besides um, we're already happy if a client has a segmented database and know which uh, type of clients buy, what price. but then they're already like a step further than most of the brands. But uh, yeah, there's so much more to, to use. Yeah, yeah, you can be really agile. Like actually you should organize your organization like an AI algorithm. 
that constantly learns from itself, mm. then f- from a C level, you only manage that automated program. Cool. That's how Chinese companies like steer themselves. Yeah, I think last thing is try to be aware of the big Chinese trends coming from uh, coming here. Uh, so social commerce is coming, but it's it's slower to ca- in gaining traction in the West. But really, to really need to learn how to use it in our advantage because if they are successful and the risk is really high because TikTok and Instagram, they have 90 to 120 minutes of your consumer per day. So they will have the power, they will have the access to the consumer and you want to learn what that means for you and how you can uh, capitalize on that. Cool. So three things and... One, one thing to add to the longer uh, vision and uh, the positive impact, uh, you once said uh, they're looking ahead like 50 years or sometimes I'll ask entrepreneurs to to come up with their 100-year plan and they tell me, yeah, but I'm not alive anymore. I say, yeah, exactly. It's not about you. It's what you leave behind and what you can contribute to to this world and to the people that are living on it. Um, so really love that. Using more data from not only your own source, but other sources, uh, reviews, hashtags, platforms, etc. And third, um, looking at uh, Chinese examples and and do you have do you have an example of some brands that you, that you think are doing really well that, that everybody should look at uh, so f- the car industry is a very cool example never no one saw them, uh, saw them coming uh, so BYD overtook Tesla as the major electric car producer last month uh, and I think five years ago if we asked anyone like what do you think of Chinese cars everyone would be laughing uh, but it really changed. And the same thing is with, with smartphones. Yeah, uh, Huawei or Huawei was really big. They were at the point of overtaking Samsung, but then Donald Trump came around. Uh, but you have a lot of different Chinese brands coming on the market. Oppo, Xiaomi, uh, OnePlus. Uh, they, they have all become big names. And that's something we see from the electronics side. I think most of the electronics we buy are Chinese brands without us knowing it. Mm. Uh, so they are overtaking every major electronics thing. Uh, fashion has still a long way to go. But you see in China already, like Nike, Adidas, Puma, they are struggling. China has created their own brands mm. with their own like comparable marketing strategies with ambassadors, uh, sports leagues. Uh, that's changing really quickly. Uh, so China is moving into the luxury branding stuff. Uh, and that's something that will be coming here. And they are really adaptive. They know how the platform game works. They know how the data game works. They can iterate crazy quick. Uh, so that's something we should be aware of, that there are competitors on the eastern side of the world that can move really quickly. And that, uh, those guys have dreams like, okay, I want to be the market leader within 20 years. Uh, and you see TikTok like getting one, 1 billion users in three years' time. Uh, so it's not crazy to see something change within five years. Yeah, it's interesting. Is there something from these brands, uh, Xiaomi and uh, BYOD, that we can learn what they're doing very well and how they become that big? Chinese like to compete on price first. Mm. So that's where their long-term vision and long-term business case comes in. So Xiaomi famously said, I only make 5% gross profit on my products but I want to earn money on services. And I think some, like an electronics veteran from uh, where I worked before told me, we as Western consumers have learned that like buying a robot vacuum costs us around 700 euros. 
like some all those Western brands have learned is that something should cost so much. But then a Chinese fa- uh, player comes along, like okay, we can offer the same thing for three hundred euros, and then we think, oh shit, the quality cannot be that good for three hundred. But then we use it, and it's actually quite a quite as good or better. And then we are amazed. Oh wait, we've always overpaid for those products. Uh, and the Chinese are happy to sell at 300 because they make it so they still have margin and they have scale. And then things will get interesting uh, because they have lower pricing, good quality, they have good software. They are really good at the software part because everything is software these days. And then they are really aggressive. Just They push the marketing, they push the cheap product and that's very hard to compete with. And the same thing is happening on the retail front with Timu. It's uh, from the Chinese Ping Duodou. That's the number three in China. Yeah, if you go on Google and search a product, you see or AliExpress or Timu or maybe Amazon and a bold.com and a cool blue, but they are spending so much on ad spend mm. uh, because they don't need to earn money the first five or 10 years. And that has to do with the long-term vision as well, right? And yeah. Just gain market first and then uh, and then try to figure out how to become, get the 5% uh, gross margin. Exactly. So that's... Like building brands, they are not as good as we in the West are. But building an aggressive business model, that's yeah, that's their game. All right, John, uh, this has been super interesting. What is the one key takeaway um, you'd like our listeners to remember thinking about China's tech and its impact on redefining growth? I think the most important thing to take away is to think about how the world should be different because you're here, because your business was here. So within 50 years, how's the world a better place? Because you have done your thing with your team. And also sit down with your team like, okay, what can we do tomorrow to get closer to that goal? And you should be really hungry because it cannot go fast enough. Oh, that's, I think, a great advice. A lot of uh, people are now working on their 2024 strategy, probably. Maybe they thought of their three-year strategy what you're saying is uh, add some more visionary stuff to it and and really dream big how you can make a difference in the world and uh, I believe that is a perfect fit with redefining growth because we should use our business as a force for good thank you so much this is an uh, amazing episode very interesting to learn from you from China econ brands and uh, I I think people will love uh, this episode so thank you so much again um, we got a little present from you it's a very original sprints and sneakers hoodie is it minus uh, one point now for me it's uh, not minus one point <laughs> <laughs> um i hope you like it it's uh, actually only for people from our team and guests from the podcast so if you see someone wearing it you know oh he was a guest in the redefine growth podcast so uh, thank you so much awesome thank you for having me for people listening If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe. There will be more interesting episodes with amazing people like John Lynn. Next up is the head of growth of Easy Toys, Patrick, who will be talking about the growth trend Easy Toys went through. Uh, They're one of the fastest growing e-com brands in the Netherlands, and he will explain you how he did it. So looking forward to see you next time. Like and subscribe, and hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.